Hello and welcome to Mimble Mimble the Harry Potter podcast. I am Aishwarya. I am Prashanthini. This is season 3 episode 9 Hermione has to face the dementors. In this episode we are going to cover the events of chapter 19 The Servant of Lord Voldemort and chapter 20 The Dementors Kiss. But before we dive into our discussion let's just go over the summary After Snape reveals himself in the shrieking shack he makes it clear that he has no intention of hearing Sirius's side of the story his childhood humiliation takes over he wants to give Sirius over to the dementors and Lupin too for supposedly helping Sirius Harry Ron and Hermione take matters in their own hands and knock Snape out to give Sirius and Lupin a chance to explain they reveal that Scabbers was in fact Peter Pettigrew and he faked his own death to get away from Azkaban and Sirius Lots of questions that have been building up since the beginning of the book are answered in this chapter. How did Sirius escape? Why was Crookshank so focused on killing Scabbers? Why was Scabbers losing his health? Who was the actual secret keeper? Why did Peter Pettigrew never try to kill Harry? How did Harry see the Grim during the Quidditch match or did he really see the Grim and more? Harry decides that they should hand Pettigrew over to the authorities instead of killing him. But on the way to the castle, Lupin transforms into a violent werewolf because he had forgotten to take the potion. Sirius turns into a dog to keep the werewolf Lupin away from the others, but Pettigrew uses the opportunity to attack Ron and Crookshanks and escape. The dementors end up finding Sirius. Hermione and Harry try to save him. Sirius loses it, Hermione loses it, and Harry is about to be kissed by a dementor when they are all saved by a mysterious Petronas. At this point we are very glad that Harry's first kiss was not a dementor. Ooh. <laughs> Thanks for that great last line. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Thank you. You made a great point about how a lot of important questions get answered in these particular set of chapters and I think it just goes to show how well plotted this book is because everything ties back to something else like everything i know we'll go into greater detail as we talk about the events themselves but i was constantly in the state of oh my god jk rowling is a masterful <laughs> plotter because she's managed to tightly plot the book and use even very small details to build up to a unbelievable story yeah you're right i think we talk a lot about jk rowling's humor and generally her writing her dialogues and everything but what we don't give her enough credit for is her plotting because it's not just in this book if there are any unanswered questions in this book or in the first book you'll see that all those are going to be answered in the seventh book i watched a lot of brandon sanderson's videos on writing recently he talks about bracketing so he's like encoding just the way you close a bracket once you open it it's the same thing with plotting when you open a question readers are going to expect an answer by the end of the book open a question close with an answer open a question close with an answer that's how you plot i don't know if jk rowling took any writing classes but i feel like she's followed it perfectly she's followed it in such a delightful manner because it's not enough if you just close a bracket it has to come with a punch it it should be a really satisfying close the third book is one of the best plotted because of that i feel like the endings are more satisfying and unexpected at the same time i agree with you also what a delightful analogy comparing uh, plotting to writing code yeah <laughs> okay let's get on with the events of this chapter at the beginning of chapter 19 the servant of lord voldemort snape has just burst into the shrieking shack and whipped off his invisibility cloak and everybody is really shocked to see him he immediately launches into a monologue and snape understands something about monologues that lupin didn't really get it's just that when you're doing a good monologue 
you better make sure all your points get out there in time before someone comes along to interrupt you and snape has some really good points most of his points showcase how strongly he feels about sirius and lupin and james more than advancing the plot order i really admire jk rowling's dialogue in this chapter because i feel like with just a few lines she manages to effectively convey a complex relationship between snape lupin and sirius and lupin sirius and pettigrew yeah like with just a few brief interactions you are able to see the crux of their relationship it's amazing i can't decide if it's extremely convenient or inconvenient that snape only hears lupin's back story and yeah. sees him with sirius but doesn't hear the peter pettigrew bits it's like a series of misfortunes yeah for example by the end of these two chapters i was seriously sitting there and wondering what did lupin bring to the table Mm-hmm. by just coming here he endangered everything i mean sirius might have gotten away and he would have probably lived a happy life with harry had it not been for lupin because lupin turning into the werewolf sets down like a series of events that lead to peter pettigrew leaving and we know what happens later because we know where peter pettigrew went so i feel like lupin being there itself was like an unfortunate event because whether or not he was there i feel like sirius would have found some way to convey his back story to the three of them i know but lupin being there lends some drama yeah. and he's also an authority figure that the three of them trust so lupin being there calmly processing the situation and explaining really helps the three of them figure out and understand serious i agree that eventually serious might have managed to like spit out his back story and you know they could have figured it out but lupin being there speeds up the process and i agree if lupin hadn't come the events of dementos kiss would have been very different or if lupin had remembered to take his potion it would have been very very different so it is really unfortunate that lupin is the reason that harry connects with his godfather but is also the reason that he can never really live with him oh my god that is so tragic lupin can't catch a break anywhere i think the marauders just can't catch a break anywhere it's very tragic their whole life is really tragic it just makes me really sad every time they talk about the past because the past was filled with potential and now it's all broken lives broken lives everywhere which is the most tragic part yeah. potential but honestly i feel like we're not discussing the real unsung hero in this story which is ron who has somehow managed to hold on to scabbers all this time <laughs> despite people like dropping so many bombs around him yeah <laughs> yeah and scabbers himself trying to escape yeah it is so impressive and ron has a broken leg and he still managed to hold on to a squirming rat i am very impressed with ron one of the first things snape says is i saw you running along the passageway and out of sight i don't know if it comes early on when they talk about the marauders map but the shrieking shack is not a part of it is it No it's not. Hmm. Anything outside the school is not a part of it. I think Fred and George mentioned that there is a passage that leads to the shrieking shack but you can only see the passage till it's in the Hogwarts grounds. Once you leave the Hogwarts grounds you can't see yeah what happens. I guess as soon as he saw Lupin running around the passageway Snape would have just assumed that okay that passageway leads to the shrieking shack why would Lupin go there? I mean he already had a suspicion that Lupin was the one helping Sirius. So he probably thought Sirius was in the shaking shack and he probably did not even realize that Harry, Ron and Hermione were there. Yeah. And of course Snape would have been familiar with this particular passage in the shaking shack because this is the same passage that he would have taken as a teenager. The event she's talking about is basically where Sirius lures Snape into the shaking shack because Snape is very, you know, nosy about what's going on with Lupin every month. 
and James saves Snape's neck at the nick of time. Snape still manages to get a glimpse of Lupin, right? Yes. yes. There's a very strong callback here. I don't know if it's um, intentional or not. Snape says something like, if Dumbledore knows that you're not the tame werewolf, like the emphasis on tame, he'll probably be very upset or something like that. It's almost as though that's what Dumbledore told Snape in order for him to not talk about it to anyone. The way it was constructed, it felt like there was a lot of backstory here. I thought it was just Snape dehumanizing Lupin. Like Lupin is always a werewolf in Snape's eyes. He can never be anything more. That's probably it. The word tame is not associated with humans too much. Referring to him not as a human being but as a beast and worse, attaching the word tame to it makes him sound like a domesticated cat. Yeah, he probably meant it as a very straightforward insult then. Yeah. Because Snape is in the shaking shack and he's talking about turning Sirius over to the authorities, to the Dementors. Harry makes an observation here. He says that it would have been impossible to say which face, Sirius's or Snape's, showed more hatred. That's all it takes for us to imagine so much about their backstory and that's very interesting. I think we are delving too much into the way she writes, but these chapters are all about the masterful way in which J.K. Rowling writes. I agree with you and I know that we've been dwelling on it quite a lot. If you're going to say that we shouldn't talk so much about her sentences, I'm afraid half of my notes are basically out of the window at this point. I really admire this chapter because every sentence is really important and she has made every sentence count. Even her descriptions are beautiful. When you're reading with a critical eye, most of our previous reads was it was all about the story it was about what harry was feeling it was about what sirius and lupin were feeling i think now we do observe that but we also try to figure out how all this information was presented to us the more we critically read it the more we seem to like it yes prince of azkaban has always been my favorite harry potter book and i was really worried when we started this season because i didn't want to read it from like this new perspective of being someone who discusses every chapter in great detail but i felt like my appreciation for it has only grown it is a fantastically plotted and well written book and i'm especially impressed with these last few chapters that we've been discussing like cat rat and dog has always been my favorite chapter in this book and it is really held up anyway let's get back to snape and sirius's and lupin's discussion i just had one observation snape says something like vengeance is very sweet how i hoped i would be the one to catch you it was very strange for me that he was carrying that amount of vengeance with him because in real life you carry that kind of vengeance against someone who's wronged you when they seem to have a better life than you're having sirius is having the shittiest life possible he spent 12 years in azkaban and his soul it's slowly being sucked out by the dementors he's re- reliving his worst memories and the whole community thinks Sirius Black was colluding with Voldemort and he betrayed his friends. It's like the worst thing that can happen to someone. How can you still not forgive them or still not be like, oh, they had it coming and they got it? How can you still carry it? I think the answer to this question contains a lot of spoilers from future books. So if you're just reading the series for the first time, can you just skip ahead <laughs> by like a couple of minutes? I thought it was really interesting, this particular conversation between Snape, Sirius and uh, Lupin, because... it shows us that snape basically holds sirius responsible for lily's death he even holds james responsible for lily's death he in fact i think he says something along the lines of you'd have died like your father too arrogant to believe you might be mistaken in black now get out of the way or i will make you i'm sure snape didn't like lupin 
or black before any of the events that we know happened before James and Lily died but i think over time snape has had enough time and energy to dwell snape sacrificed a lot to keep lily safe right that's true he he was a double agent he was with voldemort but spying on them for dumbledore he he was willing to do anything to keep lily safe yeah. and the person that she trusted the most betrayed them yeah. can you imagine the kind of hatred he must have felt in that moment it also shows us something really interesting that i didn't think about as in i'm admitting that it's not a personal thought it's from reddit thanks reddit it also shows us that snape is supposed to be in voldemort's inner circle but he didn't know that peter pettigrew was the informer he believed the public story that black is the one who betrayed the group and he didn't know that peter pettigrew is the the one who did yeah could have just been because voldemort probably acted as soon as he heard the news maybe but i think black mentioned something along the lines of you'd been passing information to him for a year before lily and james died you were his spy yeah correct and he says do you deny that peter pettigrew does not answer that question and it's such a definite time frame right he says a year he doesn't say i know you were passing information to voldemort before i know that you've always been working for him he says a year yeah. and i also wonder if he knows specifically how long peter was on voldemort's side because of his time in azkaban amongst other supporters that's possible so the conversation they have is something along the lines of so basically lupin thinks sirius was the spy sirius initially thought lupin was the spy and everybody is like who's the spy so that means that for a year before James and Lily's death they have had problems because someone was passing information yeah and they've all wondered who the spy was and in the end because of Sirius's idea they just made the spy the secret keeper yeah i think it was probably very well known that someone was a spy i think that's why snape is so affected by this interaction with Sirius that their shared history blinds him so much that he won't even accept any other possibility any other outcome he's not even pausing to think why would Sirius Black who he's known all through his school life and who do you know better than your bullies right so he knows him so well that he's not even pausing to think what would Sirius Black gain out of being a spy for Voldemort he doesn't think about it at all he's ready to believe it that is there but i feel like even if he didn't think that sirius was that closely involved in their death he would still hate sirius for the fact that if it hadn't been for sirius and james and lupin and the whole group lily would have lived yeah according to him she fell in with the wrong crowd and got herself killed he probably thinks that if if lily had been with snape she would have never died yeah all of these people in the room other than ron and hermione have the shared past that they are all hurting from so if you take serious black also you would see that he is probably the most emotional only in this chapter that's because he is talking about how he effectively killed harry's parents anyway he yeah. was the reason that they died and imagine carrying that kind of feelings with you for 12 years in azkaban reimagining the kind of things that you could have done one misstep and everything went wrong serious is the kind of person who values friendship above everything else i think he would not have been this upset if it had been one of his family members but it was james and it was lily and he indirectly or directly betrayed them not just that while he was in azkaban he could not even help harry like he probably heard that harry was putting himself in dangerous situations and like people were trying to attack harry 
and being his godfather he couldn't perform those duties properly and being just a friend he could not even extract proper vengeance because peter pettigrew of all people outsmarted him and faked his own death basically the shared hurt is just too much there is no proper reconciliation for someone who's gone through something so terrible and i also like that in spite of all this even harry is very worried and scared about snape but hermione speaks up and she's like what's the harm in listening to them and obviously snape is beyond reason and he's like for once in your life hold your tongue i know snape's interaction with harry and hermione was really scary also hermione has had a roller coaster of a year she leaves a class she slaps malfoy she attacks a teacher yeah. she questions a teacher and then she attacks them with a spell hermione has come so far in this year i am really proud of her but just before he gets attacked he tells harry that you should be thanking me on bended knee it's like which era do you live in sense of drama has overtaken snape you know what i thought was really funny snape taught expelliarmus in the chamber of secrets to these guys and that's the spell they use against him <laughs> hoisted by own petard <laughs> <laughs> i also thought it was interesting that yet again harry has to face down a teacher in the climax of a book he faces down uh, quirrell in philosopher's stone lockhart in chamber of secrets and he's faced on snape in prisoner of azkaban and this is the most emotional and tense showdown because quirrell and lockhart were sort of cartoonish people but snape we have had enough character development over the last three books and there's enough shared history like you mentioned for this to be such a emotional tense scene when it happens it's so great that they all attack him at the same time because though it's never said explicitly it was very obvious that the trio attacks snape not because he was threatening them with expulsion and uh, suspension it was because they wanted to do what was right and give someone who spent 12 years in a prison a chance even though they did not believe him fully at that point which was incredibly brave of three children and we know that they are brave but this feels like a different level of it because they don't know the story yet and they see that this person is unreasonable they risk everything by doing this in fact sirius and lupin might turn out to be complete frauds and they might be the ones who actually want to kill harry but they risk everything because they know that one of them is being unreasonable and it's not right that the other doesn't get a fair chance because of it i agree that is so brave i didn't think about it like that i didn't think about how much they actually risked by cursing a teacher yeah i think their sense of justice is just amazing yes it's after snape is out cold that black finally decides to move along by asking ron for scabbers and ron brings up an excellent point he's like how do you know that this is the rat that is peter pettigrew and honestly when i was reading it this time i realized that this is like the mother of all chekhov she's <laughs> like blowing off back in chapter 1 harry receives a clipping of ron's family trip to egypt with a picture of the weasley family and he says that hey you can even see scabbers on ron's shoulder we also find out in chapter 10 the marauders map that fudge recounts a story about visiting askaban and seeing black and seeing him like coherent and cool and asking for his paper to do the crossword and i realized that that is probably that paper yeah. what a coincidence honestly both of these events being tied back so neatly it's incredible in this book nothing has gone to waste she's turned everything into something i agree <laughs> i was wondering if peter pettigrew is so clever 
that he can fake his own death he can be voldemort spy and not be found out at all he can live as a rat with a wizarding family for so long and also he does not have a sense of right and wrong he has like no morals whatsoever so why was he not in slytherin two answers on sci-fi stack exchange that was very satisfactory where one the hat makes mistakes which is okay it is bound to read one or two people wrong the second is that the hat puts people in houses based on potential not based on what they think when they're wearing the hat or whatever which could be taken in multiple ways maybe peter pettigrew had the potential of becoming everything that represents gryffindor basically but he picked the wrong path by uh, seeking voldemort i feel like the first answer is more satisfying for me what do you think i'm trying to remember dumbledore's line correctly sometimes we sort too soon that yes and it's our choices that determine who we are and not our abilities yeah. so peter pettigrew's abilities uh might have said one thing but his choices were completely different when we first encounter the sorting hat in the first book it seems very black and white the hat reads your mind and it puts you in a house and you're there for the next 7 years interacting with like-minded peers and grooming yourself to become the ideal of the house but we know from harry that you can choose to be a certain house and i like that this particular element get murkier and murkier with every book like nothing is black and white anymore so this clearly shows that we should not be putting too much stock into what house a person belongs to a lot of people talk about including us we've spoken about how splitting students into groups that have these rigid indicators of who they are might not be a great idea and also it's terrible for someone who's sorted in the wrong house like slytherin and we talk about it as if it's a bug but i think it's a feature <laughs> i think J.K. Rowling really wants to show that the kind of categorizations that we put other people in or the categorizations that we are born into don't always define us. Yeah, I never really thought about it. Superficially, it's fun to think about it, but I feel like that categorization itself is flawed. Uh, the sorting hat itself says it at one point. It, it says that it's wondering whether dividing is the right thing to do, especially in troubled times. I think that's an important lesson that we should all learn. I agree. I also really like that particular song of the Sorting Hat. I think it comes in order of the Phoenix. Yeah. One of my favorite Sorting Hat songs. I think we were discussing how Black found out that Scabbers is Peter Pettigrew. At this point, I would like to dedicate a couple of minutes to Crookshanks, <laughs> who is the uh unsung hero of this story. <laughs> I swear Crookshanks is so smart. Like Black himself takes a couple of minutes to talk about how smart Crookshanks is. Yeah. Crookshanks stole the passwords from Neville's side table and bought them to Black. First off, Crookshanks understood what Black wanted to do. Crookshanks can read. Crookshanks acts out sophisticated information like Peter faked his own death. What do you mean? He didn't act that out. How did Black understand from Crookshanks that Scabbers faked his own death and left blood on the bed sheets? What they're trying to say by the whole Animagus thing and like everybody running around with the werewolf and everything is just to showcase that animals can communicate with each other. No, I understand that. But they are also human beings and animals. Yeah. Simultaneously. Crookshanks is an animal. He's not a human being, but he's incredibly smart. He is even a good judge of character because when he sees Peter Pettigrew, he like hisses and he understood that Black is not a bad person and he's helping Black do so many things. He can understand human language. He understood based on discussions that Scabbers faked his own death and left blood on the bed sheets. 
this is this incredibly smart cat and it is such a tragedy he is not the hero of the story <laughs> we should have a spin off about crookshanks just solving crimes yeah. and helping people along why didn't jk rowling use crookshanks more in the other books he could have been a spy then it would become about crookshanks what's wrong with that <laughs> crookshanks in the order of the phoenix has a nice ring to it it's so obvious that sirius is so fond of crookshanks I am just sad that they never interact with each other after this. I know that is incredibly incredibly sad. Yeah. Also I think the most apt description of how I felt the first time I read these chapters is written by J.K. Rowling herself. Harry's brain seemed to be sagging under the weight of what he was hearing. I cannot believe this is the exact point I have written <laughs> at the exact same time. I was just about to say it. <laughs> <laughs> She's a phenomenal writer. Honestly. And I also like how they piece all this information together. Hermione and Harry and Ron ask the right questions, display the right emotions to bring out the maximum amount of information possible from Lupin and Sirius. It's just so cool, the coming together of information. Yeah, and I like that it's done in a completely natural manner and not infodump for the sake of infodump. Like people are taking time to process, think about questions. And I really appreciate the use of Hermione and... if we can assume that harry is the audience substitute hermione is clearly the super reader substitute mm. because hermione quickly processes events and immediately asks questions mm. she asks questions that the readers want to know that harry might not be thinking about at the moment because he's reeling from the weight of the information he's hearing right but there is hermione asking questions like how did you get over askaban why didn't petigrew try to kill harry before even though he's been in the dormitory for the last couple of years i love that she has mapped out these interactions so well that they've stayed true to the characters as well yeah i think she also acts like a moderator by the end of it where she's like okay let's try to bring out all the information at least harry has all the information at hand before he's making a decision any decision he makes is going to be terrible if he decides that sirius is probably the one to blame sirius dies if he decides that petigrew is the one to blame petigrew dies she does an incredible job as a moderator yeah. also at this point i'd like to mention that the marauders back story is so tragic it has the hallmark of all good tragedies friendship betrayal switcheroos and werewolves <laughs> <laughs> everything everything that can go wrong goes wrong i mean the more we find out about the marauders lives the more you realize that it's just one giant tragedy with every possible thing in there as soon as they force peter pettigrew to show himself conversation that comes out is just has so much um, weight yeah like i feel like the environment just changes it's already tense and it's already like revelations after revelations but there's so much depth and sadness to it serious sheds all his inhibitions he's more free he's crying he's yelling and it's cathartic for him to have suspected this for so long and to finally see it happening i cannot even imagine i wonder if the reason that sirius gets so emotional after they force scabbers to become peter pettigrew is that a part of him might have doubted it all this time yeah and you know maybe this is just a madman's delusion and he escaped from askaban stalked harry around hogwarts trying to get this rat all this time and he might have worried that at the crucial moment it could just be a rat it could not be peter pettigrew and he would still be responsible for james and lily's deaths and one more thing which is very interesting to me is he doesn't really hold pettigrew responsible for his askaban stay at all yeah he doesn't he only talks about what did peter pettigrew have in him that made him betray james and lily which was very incredible because 
he did not care about himself at that point and he even says i would have died before i would have betrayed them and when peter wimpers and says voldemort would have killed him sirius just says then you should have died i think it just goes to show that sirius values friendship more than everything else including his own life and the fact that other people can exist and not do the same thing i think really baffles him i love these conversations like you said they carry so much of depth of feeling like when sirius says then you should have died or like when lupin says you should have realized that if voldemort didn't kill you we would yeah. yeah it's it's such like every line hurts because you can feel the burden of history like just bearing down on these yeah. characters and them realizing all those mistakes that they made not trusting each other so many years ago exactly if sirius had trusted lupin and at that point things might have been different yeah they don't say much about what happened but it paints a very clear picture we understand the intentions that peter pettigrew had because sirius understands the intentions sirius says you always wanted like bigger friends than you someone who you can hide behind someone more powerful so in the school that was us like we were the biggest i guess bullies but then once you got out of school you saw a bigger bully and you hid behind him he says this line which i thought was really cool it must have been the finest moment of your miserable life telling voldemort you could hand him the potters you can see peter pettigrew doing that yeah Sirius does really take over for Pettigrew in this chapter ha huh? he basically defines his motivations the back story everything and you could think that hey peter pettigrew isn't doing anything to deny what sirius says but he also can't do anything to confirm what sirius says because at this point peter pettigrew is just concerned with making sure that he survives this interaction he's so rat like even when he's not a rat he's constantly looking at the doors and the windows and trying to you know form a path for him to escape when we were doing the prep for this episode i was telling prashanthi that this particular thing about pettigrew really reminded me of parasite so i watched parasite the movie only last night yeah. so it's like really fresh in my memory i realized that peter pettigrew like you mentioned is a adult man who's lived with a visiting family for the last 12 years and they didn't know that a man was living there i wonder if he transformed from a rat to a man to retain like his senses every now and then and these people did not know he was in their home he was in ron's bed by the end of this chapter harry observes that ron is probably taking this whole revelation as a personal insult and that reminded me that we always talk about how being around harry is just harmful for so many people especially the weasleys because they keep getting into trouble with ginny in the second year and ron and ron's parents and everyone but what we are forgetting to see is how much trouble people around harry are causing directly or indirectly so for example ron's pet being a murderer and hagrid revealing information about fluffy to a random hooded stranger in a pub ginny passing information about harry to voldemort's memory there is so many ways in which harry's friends and like his friends family cause him harm and it's incredible that harry still chooses to trust people instead of just like not trusting anyone i agree I think we've discussed a little bit about Harry's impact on the people around him but yes. we haven't seen how the people around him have also really impacted his life but Harry at no point accuses them or feels betrayed. Yeah. The only way this can be seen is it's not Harry's fault or his friends fault it's someone out there who wants to manipulate someone else for their own gains. Harry has the maturity to see it right away and not question his friends too much which is really cool. Yeah. it is pretty cool 
I actually have a point to make. I know we've discussed quite a bit about J.K. Rowling's writing in this particular episode, but I really enjoyed this line. Well, hello, Peter," said Lupin pleasantly, as though rats frequently erupted into old school friends around him. Long time no see. <laughs> What a great line! Yeah. Apart from all this, Sirius reveals that he escapes Azkaban by turning into a dog, mm-hmm. and uh, looks like Dementors are not great at detecting animals' feelings. Didn't you think all of the information that Sirius reveals about Dementors was really fascinating? Mm, yeah. So he says that Dementors can't see; they can feel their way towards people by sensing their emotions, making them like really unique creatures. I know we've discussed Dementors in the past, but this particular facet of their personalities makes me wonder: How do Dementors communicate, and how do they understand other people's communication? And it also makes them. incredibly cruel jailers yeah of course the person who first thought that dementors should be the safeguard guardians of a prison was really cruel it's also telling that he says once he transformed into a dog the dementors didn't really think much of it because everybody's mental abilities and feelings reduce over time when they when they are in askaban and that's just a natural progression yeah by the end of it he says something like as a dog he swam across the ocean and then he lived in the forest for a while and then he came out to see harry playing quidditch i can just imagine you know the way serious even as a dog would have caught wind of harry playing quidditch and then being compelled to watch it and then like resurfacing and realizing that he flew as well as his father he must have seen james playing quidditch over there james flying and again it's so sad oh my god i feel really bad for serious in this chapter even like the small interactions just show us how much life in askaban has damaged him when hermione calls him mr black there is a line that says black jumped at being addressed like this and stared at hermione as though being spoken to politely was something he had long forgotten this is so tragic and also this particular moment right at the end of this I don't know why those sentences they are very straightforward they are very simple but they really hit like straight to the heart he looked at harry who did not look away believe me croaked black believe me i never betrayed james and lily i would have died before i betrayed them and at long last harry believed him throat too tight to speak he nodded Like it's it's it is that simple. Like and even that line that follows, where Pettigrew breaks down as if the nod was his death sentence, that was also so cool. It's a cool bit of writing. Yeah, Pettigrew's pleas to each party member there and their replies sort of feel like dramatic effect, but are really indicative of their characters. Because when he turns to Lupin and he says, "Hey, we were friends and I was scared," Lupin's just like. Sucks to be you, <laughs> type of sentiment. And I think the order in which he tries to approach them is also really cool. He first reminds his old friends and appeals to their heart mm-hmm. using principles of friendship. Mm-hmm. But when that doesn't work, he appeals to another friend and owner of sorts, which is Ron, who doesn't really listen to him either. Then he goes to Hermione, who has nothing to do with any of this. and then at long last he goes to harry because he is the person who was most affected by peter pettigrew but peter pettigrew doesn't have 
any shame obviously does not have any guilt does not think whatever he did was wrong he is willing to grovel his way out of this he is willing to survive no matter at what cost that puts him like in the other end of the spectrum like everybody else other than peter pettigrew in that room would have rather died like black says it's very surprising that he didn't see through peter pettigrew much earlier than when he did again like black says peter pettigrew is a much better rat than a human <laughs> such a killer line so far in the harry potter series i think we've seen one kind of bad guy right like a straight up baddie who wants power and is willing to do anything to get it like people like voldemort and like lucius malfoy but peter pettigrew is our first introduction to a more ambiguous kind of villain a coward who betrays his closest friends either out of fear i think he says something along the lines of he was taking over everywhere what was there to be gained from refusing him or coercion he says he has weapons you can't imagine he switched sides to side with the megalomaniac right in some ways as children especially we are able to understand straight up bad people more because you know they have a strong motivation but people like peter pettigrew are actually more villainous than people like voldemort because he could be anyone you know he looked out only for himself he didn't care about anybody else he didn't care about a cause he didn't care about a conflict he cared about only his own skin and that's what makes him so despicable and villainous i also wonder what voldemort could have offered him to convert him a full year before his downfall i think he's just making it up i feel like he would have seeked voldemort out maybe we don't really know the answer to this i think maybe we'll find out in the following books as we read it i feel like we should just go with sirius's judgment because sirius says that he follows anyone who's more powerful yeah so i don't think voldemort had to offer much i don't know when i was thinking about this i realized that voldemort if he had been the one to approach pettigrew is a really accurate judge of character he's able to spy a group find a weak link and just infiltrate hmm i just cannot imagine that happening no matter what possibility it feels like peter pettigrew would have approached voldemort hmm. i don't know why i'm not convinced of that entirely i don't know what is stopping me from completely <laughs> believing you it just feels like i'm missing some information like a part of my brain's mm-hmm. like no but it's not able to actually find the reasoning for why it is saying no so i will go back and do some googling <laughs> we'll talk about this later sure. i guess i will add this to the episode notes section i want to do a call back to a point that you made hmm. a couple of episodes ago about harry not being a killer we were talking about quirrell and how the movie takes away that particular trait of harry's like he kills quirrell intentionally like he knows that his hand has something that burns quirrell and he put, puts it on quirrell but in the book he doesn't do it quirrell tries to get a hold of harry and burns himself yes and we know that this character that harry has is the reason sirius lives yeah and it's also the same reason that peter pettigrew lives because harry stops Lupin and Black from killing Pettigrew not out of mercy or pity but because he thinks his dad wouldn't have wanted his best friends to become killers because of Peter mm. also Lupin and Black were ready to straight up kill someone in front of 313 year olds can't think about that right now <laughs> different times yeah different times i also feel like they are doing it for harry i feel like they thought harry would want that and i think the moment where harry says no really shocks them yeah i also wonder if they got carried away Harry looks so much like James. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if they got carried away thinking this is what James would have wanted and they maybe even thought 
of Harry is just a substitute for James, but Harry is his own person, and he puts himself forward at the right moment to stop them. This becomes a conflict. It's a very interesting conflict that happens in the first book. No, yes, I really like that bit. Yeah, me too. Because everyone, even Peter Pettigrew, tells Harry that he looks like his father. Yes, <laughs> and Sirius is like, "How dare you talk to him? How dare you talk about James in front of him? How dare he? You betrayed him." they died because of you directly there is no point in just yelling at him because he is not going to realize anything yeah like you said he has no morality he yeah. has no he has no cause he has nothing he's just out for himself there is just no way to make him feel bad about anything yeah what they do is they strap peter petigrew to lupin and ron to just to make sure he doesn't escape or transform they issue threats that if he transforms harry agrees to kill him mm mm-hmm. and they all like shuffle out of the uh, out of shrieking shack that is chapter 20 the dementors kiss there is a switch in in the way harry views sirius black in this chapter till the last end of the last chapter in the last paragraph also he's referred to as black but from in this chapter he becomes serious wow i didn't notice this yeah he is no longer black he is now serious wow it just makes the following thing so sad Honestly Harry's happiness at finding out that Sirius wants Harry to live with him once he's free always gets to me. I've never forgotten the lightness I also felt along with Harry the first time I read this book that Harry is free he can leave the Dursleys. It felt like you know the world was opening up with opportunities that the subsequent letdown was so horrible. <laughs> like I have never forgotten that sense of feeling wronged. <laughs> And this book is the first book that doesn't tie itself up neatly. It doesn't follow through on its promises. Good people don't win. And that's how the world works. In fact, if Sirius had stayed put, mm. none of the other books would have happened. Actually, if if it weren't for the events of this particular chapter, they might not happen in the same way. I'm a big believer in the whole thing that there is a linchpin, but there isn't a particular linchpin alone. Mm. Like it might not have happened in this way, but it would have happened through a different set of events, maybe with a longer timeline or a shorter timeline. Yeah. Voldemort coming back is heavily dependent on this chapter yeah. but i think Voldemort would have come back one way or another hmm. interesting and petigrew is definitely the direct cause of everything that happens after this book yeah and you were right if lupin hadn't been there <laughs> things would be very different and what was so heartbreaking about that was i think this was the first time harry's vocalizing how happy he would be if he were not living with dursleys i don't think he's ever said it to anyone not even to his friends i also thought it was really delightful that sari's second thought is telling the dursleys what <laughs> that he's going to go live with the convict from the te- from the television <laughs> <laughs> yeah harry is awesome <laughs> and they're edging out and uh, tragedy strikes like three times actually four if you think about it like the first one is it's the full moon Lupin hasn't taken the potion that Snape bought him. Strike two: When Lupin is transforming into a werewolf, and Sirius has to deal with this, Pettigrew manages to get Lupin's wand and hurt Ron and poor Crookshanks. Because <laughs> Crookshanks can track him down. Yes, Pettigrew really acts really fast. He hurts Ron and Crookshanks, and he makes an escape. Did Pettigrew need a wand to transform all? I don't know. Yeah, me neither. I don't know. I I don't know enough about Animagus to answer that question. Also. Did you think it was interesting that Harry uses Expelliarmus to stop him? He tries to get the wand away from Pettigrew. Ah, uh, yeah. But it's too late. Pettigrew transforms. He doesn't try to stop him. He tries to get the wand away. That's yeah. what he does. Yeah. If Harry had used the hex, if Harry had used anything else at that point instead of getting He doesn't know, no. Expelliarmus, 
it can be used for multiple purposes but it really is harry's spell right like harry has used it in so many situations and over the years uses it in so many more situations that i feel like this is the biggest letdown <laughs> and harry is trying to deal with this moment and lupin is runs away into the forest thankfully so sirius thanks is, to sirius thanks to sirius sirius is bleeding and he has wounds in his back with the minute that harry says look petigrew has escaped sirius just runs straight up his entire freedom depends on them having petigrew and the whole reason he escaped was petigrew yeah and then there's like strike 3 the dementors find sirius and harry knows the petronas charm but there are so many dementors and it's just him and sirius and hermione and sirius and hermione are overcome by the onslaught of dementors there so he's trying to do the petronas charm but the memories that he summons the memory of thinking that i have a godfather and i'm going to leave the dursleys forever is not strong enough for him to sustain his petronas I think it's strong it's just too many dementors. Yeah, that leads us to strike 3.5. Harry finds out what is in the hood. Yeah, it's like even that bracket is closed now because he is the one who asks what under what's under the hood. Yeah, and he finds out what's under the hood. That brings us to strike 4. The dementors are supposed to perform the kiss only on Sirius and they get really excited and they try to perform the kiss on Harry also. Because they are like we should take him out first. Yeah, because he keeps trying to stop us. <laughs> <laughs> I guess but a patronus appears out of nowhere. conjured by someone who looks familiar to Harry hmm, who could that be but Harry can't believe it's them and then he passes out turn of events in this chapter for a person with a more delicate constitution <laughs> would have been too much to bear you go all the way from Harry is going to leave the Dursleys and live with his godfather his dad's best friend to <laughs> Harry's almost kissed by Dementor yes as soon as Lupin transforms into a werewolf Sirius says run now and harry is like well i can't run because ron is trapped to peter pettigrew i can't run without him it's not even said he thinks that in a very matter of fact way and i was like wow yeah i think when i was reading it for the first time when they came out of the shrieking shack i thought the book was over <laughs> i really did not expect the turn of events especially what other foreshadowing can they do Snape even says he brought the potion to Lupin's study. But I had honestly forgotten it. Thanks to all the things we find out over the last couple of chapters, I had forgotten that it was a full moon and that Snape brought the potion to Lupin's study. And I agree with you. In a children's book, the minute they come out of the shrieking shack and they go, this feels like a famous five adventure till then. Yeah. Like the famous five take everybody to the police and they're done and then they go home and they have hot cocoa and scones or whatever it is that they eat. But... This is where it really takes the leap from a children's book to an adult's book. Well, the past with James and Lily was not very children's booky. Past can be painful and it can be filled with wrongs, but as kids we have this belief that if we try hard enough things will be okay. There's a sense of fairness that kids expect yeah. from the world around them and that's given to kids this right to expect this fairness by parents who make everything fair. When you have squabbles at home, they're judged fairly. when you're at school there is a sense of fairness and finding out that the world isn't fair is when you stop being a kid i know that finding out all that stuff about james and lily and sirius the tragic potential of their lives and how it was wasted all of that is really bad but to a kid it's like it's over this is the point in the movies where you're like okay you know like we've got the bad guy and the bad guy is going to die now or the bad guy is going to fall off a cliff or get arrested by the police and then go away forever or the bad guy is going to like repent and become a good guy none of those things happen yeah this bad guy goes to start the plot for the next book <laughs> yeah and uh, 
Professor Trelawney's prediction kind of comes true. Which Harry doesn't realize at this moment. Yeah, obviously, we don't realize it either. We kind of forgot. Yes, because of all the things that happened over the last couple of episodes. If we had remembered that prediction, we would have known that Peter Pettigrew was going to escape. So, J.K. Rowling did arm us with all the information necessary. I think we all really, 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 really hoped <laughs> that it wouldn't happen. From stories, we expect order and we expect things that are not in the world to be in them, right? We expect fairness, we expect order, we expect justice. A lot of the times, writers give that to us because we don't get that in the real world. We might as well pretend we're getting that in this imaginary world. But this book is so effective and I think... The real reason that Prisoner of Azkaban is my favorite book in the whole series is because of this particular moment. This is sort of the making of Adult Aishwarya. This book kick-started that process. The best kind of children's stories are the ones that take an adult theme and breaks it down in such a way that children can understand it. I agree. I also think that when people write children's stories, sometimes they get confused and they think that children... just don't see the things that are wrong in the world the thing is children see them and they just process it differently the best children's authors understand that mm. the children just process it differently and they break it down in the way that children understand mm. children aren't stupid they know that things like death are out there they just they just accept it differently yeah so that brings us to the end of today's episode Thank you for listening. You can follow this podcast on Instagram and Twitter. On Instagram we are at @mimblewimblepod and on Twitter we are at @mimblewimblepod. <laughs> uh you can follow Aishwarya and I also. Aishwarya is at @valley_chim and I am at _impress. And you can also check out our website @mimblewimble.in. You can interact with us through the comments or through Instagram, Twitter. your choice we'll see you in the next episode until then there's enough filth on my robes without you touching them